This week's episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of spoken word entertainment online. Audible is offering listeners of this podcast a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook of your choice if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash Jeff Rubin. Usually I like to use this time to kind of recommend a book that's on Audible that's thematically relevant uh, to the topic of today's conversation, but this week... The conversation is all about romance books, so I thought I'd point out that, uh, you know, I'm always going on and on about how many genres there are on Audible. Of course, romance is one of them, but subgenres? Yeah, they got you covered. They got historical romance books. They got religious. They got erotica. They got fantasy. There are 1,254 romantic fantasy novels that you can be listening to on Audible, and you can listen to one of them for free. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash Jeff Rubin, tell them I sent you. No one's going to ask. It's a website. It doesn't actually talk to you. But if someone does ask, just tell them Jeff sent you. And okay, let's start the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today on the Skype on the phone, I am talking to romance novel editor Lizzie Poteet. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's, you know, this is not my forte. It's not a world I know a whole lot about, but I'm interested in learning more. Let's define some terms up top. Uh, what exactly is like a, a romance novel? How, how does that work? A romance novel is pretty much any story that focuses on two central characters and their relationship and how they grow and fall in love and fall out of love and have a fight and get back, get back together and then eventually have a happily ever after. In order to be a romance novel, you have to have a happily ever after between your central characters. But isn't that a lot of drama? Like, And I, I feel like you know it when you see it, but what makes a romance novel unique? Um, I guess really what makes it unique from, obviously my dog is going to bark when I talk about this. He's a big fan. Um, yeah, he actually hates me working and romance novels. But um, really romance novels aren't particular, particularly unique. There are a lot of books that have romantic subplots. And there are a lot of different types of romance novels. You have your historicals, you have your regencies, you have your medievals, and then you have like sci-fi, fantasy. So it's just All right, now you're talking. Now we're getting a little yeah. more into Jeff world. So the thing the thing about romance novels isn't that they're unique. It's just that they appeal to female readers. They deal with characters who are interested in having a relationship and the romance plot is the main plot other things can happen aliens can come down people can get stabbed but for the most part you're reading it for the relationship is it a prerequisite that the book be kind of dirty actually it's not i have a romance novel right now that i'm editing and i call it like steamy light or it's everything but so it has this strategic fade to black once things start really heating up. And they're Christian romances. Usually they involve an Amish person and a young lady falling in love, and her love for the man is equaled by her love for God. And so it's about the relationship. You don't have to have sex in a romance novel for it to be a romance novel. But you work on books that 
uh, uh, you know, it sounds like run the gamut of ratings from like maybe PG thirteen all the way to. I imagine they get pretty dirty, as I understand. Yeah, this. yeah, they can get they can get scorching. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of sex in a lot of romance novels. Otherwise, I mean, it'd be a little boring. But you don't necessarily have to have sex. That's what makes romance different from erotica. Erotica is all about sex. Do you work all at all time. in erotica? I've worked with some erotica. Um, I tried to review it once, and I obviously did not do well. Um, my <laughs> my coworker at the time was like, I think you're missing the point of this, Lizzie. It's not about the were-tiger plot. It's about the sex. So erotica is um, a whole different, whole different genre. And is this, you, you said uh, targeted for females. I forget exactly what the phrase you used. Is it, are these read at all by men, or is it exclusively for females? Um... They're pretty much women's fiction. I'm not going to say there are no men who read romance novels. I'm sure there are men out there who want the occasional love story. But um, for the most part, we market them towards women. I mean, if you look at the covers, those covers aren't meant to draw men in. It's like a sexy Highlander wearing a kilt and no shirt. That's not exactly... um, hey, guys, you want to read this too material. But that's how movie posters work. Like, guy-focused movie posters you might have, like Channing Tatum or something, just kind of striking a pose. Yeah, I mean, that's true, but I also heard somewhere that when it comes to um, action movies, they put stuff like that on the covers to lure the women in as well. Because the guys are going to go see it anyway. Right, and the ladies are going to be like, hmm, Channing Tatum and a wife beater while Olympus falls behind him. Might as well go see it. Are there any romance novels that are written exclusively for men and that have, like, those kind of painted covers but with women on the cover? Um, I know of a series. It's long-standing at Penguin. I forget the exact name of it. I think it's Long long arm, long something, and it's about a cowboy and his continuing saga to defeat bad guys and have a lot of sex. Um, it's Their covers are pretty ridiculous, like men with mustache, bulging muscles, like the titles often involve the word like something virgin, and, um, um, and those are geared towards men, but I wouldn't say that there are a lot of romance novels with in mind. The thing that I'm so interested in here uh, is it sounds like I'm always interested in nerddom and I love hearing about like types of nerddom and types of nerdiness that I didn't even know existed because I'm pretty nerdy um, <laughs> but there's all these other and this is what's so great about the time we're living there's all these element these ways you can be nerdy that like don't even interest me and I love that and you're talking about like a romance book with were tigers, uh, like it sounds. I think traditionally, when you think of nerds, um, and this is wrong, and these perceptions are changing, but you think uh, you think of uh, dudes. But uh, this sounds like maybe the nerdiest thing in the world. Is that true? Oh God, it's pretty nerdy. I mean, not gonna lie, it's like um, they're pretty. They're 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 books. So by definition, they're inherently they're nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but I feel yeah. like if I did in read, consume, like watched a movie about, uh, played a video game about, listen, listen to music, just anything about sex with were tigers. Like if you imagine a guy doing that, I think you're picturing, and this isn't necessarily true, but you're picturing kind of a big dude, neck beard. But I think for women, like uh, you can almost imagine any woman reading that book. Am, am, am I crazy? No, I mean, there's a book out right now that um, has caused some chuckles, but I, I mean, I've never read it, so I can't, I can't be too critical, but it's called Hedging His Bets, and it's about this rough-and-tumble biker and this barmaid who has a, 
mysterious past. And then the twist on it is it's a paranormal romance. And so this rough and tumble, like, biker is actually a were-hedgehog. A were-hedgehog? <laughs> a were-hedgehog. I wasn't... And, so yeah. as an editor, is it, like, grammatically sound to just put the word were in front of oh, any yeah. animal? That's that's kosher? Were-bears, were-hedgehogs, like, were-wolves, obviously, were-panthers. It's like if you... I think you, there's were-panthers on True Blood, which I don't really uh-huh. watch. I think that's a thing, though. I'm pretty sure it is, unfortunately. I only watched a few episodes of True Blood, but I gave up because it felt like I was watching the erotic fan fiction of another superior... TV show, but that's based on a book, right? True Blood was a book. Yeah, it's like Charlene Harris's first book. Um, I don't remember the title, like Living Dead or whatever the True Blood book is based off of, is at its core probably a romance novel. The series, I would say, is more urban fantasy because it follows um, Sookie Sackhouse as she goes through the different kind of paranormal creatures she interacts with, her different dramas, and her different relationships. There's not one central character to that series, but the True Blood show is nothing like the books anymore, and it's pretty much just a fan fiction rendition of what Charlene Harris started out writing. How big a part of the romance erotica? Is it okay that I'm grouping those things together? Um, They're different, but most people... Most people are pretty okay with conflating the two. I would say, like, erotica, it's not about a happily ever after. It's not about a couple. It's not about the love story. Because that's what romances are about. They're about the love story. Erotica is just about kinky sex. Like, multiples, um, fantasies, fetish. Erotica is... Wear hedgehogs. You name it. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you get were-hedgehogs in romance, but it's about the guy and the girl falling in love. In erotica, they don't need to fall in love. They just need to have a ball gag and a whip and maybe, like, a next-door neighbor who wants to play. Like, that's what erotica is. It's not so much a love story as... I guess erotica would be more equivalent of reading a dirty magazine. How much of these of this literature is paranormal? Um, after the Twilight phase, a lot was paranormal because, I mean... So was Twilight, like, a seismic event in this community? Twilight was a seismic event across the world. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Twilight covers. I had a friend who went down to, um, Columbia, and while she was there, she sent me a picture of the Twilight books in a window. So it's like... Twilight affected everyone, but, I mean, yeah, you saw a lot of people wanting to duplicate the Ella and Bedward dynamic. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey came from Twilight fan fiction. It was some person's imagination or imagining of what that dominant, submissive relationship between Bella and Edward would play out on a sexual scale and without the vampirism. Fifty Shades of Grey, obviously another cultural phenomenon. In the same way that Twilight's success spawned all this paranormal stuff, this paranormal fad, uh, did Fifty Shades of Grey make everything dirtier? I don't think it made everything dirtier. It just brought to light a lot of the dirty books we already had. I mean, if you look at... um, what has been selling, I think it did cause a boom in like more erotic and bondage stories. But I mean, erotica and bondage has been, they've been around for a long time. Historically, look at the story of O. That's a classic 
piece of literature about a BDSM-style relationship back from eons ago, the Dark Age. Right. Um, and it's just, I think it kind of highlighted a genre that was already there. And I mean, as publishers and in my industry, we, we really did jump aboard. Like, if we could get a cover out that vaguely looked like a Fifty Shades cover, we did it. Did Fifty Shades... Is Fifty Shades... My understanding, I have not read, I've not read a lot of these books... Uh, is that it's actually less dirty than a lot of them, even though it's kind of got a reputation for um, being very scandalous. It's actually kind of tame compared to some of the other things in this world. Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, I've read books. I'm, I'm for the most part, pretty desensitized. I can read a lot at my desk without blushing. Um, But Fifty Shades was just like, oh, just another, you know story with some sex it actually had a romance at its core too like no matter the relationship there was a deep emotional bond between the two main characters I've read a few we have one at SMP called Topping from Below and um, it made me blush like so bad I couldn't even read it it was just it was it, it was it was erotic and it was not something you could read on the bus now, I don't want to embarrass you, but can you give us a sense of what about that one is so much worse than oh Fifty Shades God. of Grey? I, like, read the first ten pages, and then I was like, uh-uh, can't do this. No way. It was... Um, it what took, happens in the first ten pages? <laughs> it took that um, dominant, submissive relationship, and it put it in a different context. It didn't feel like they were playing around with it. And the whole story focuses on a woman whose sister dies under mysterious circumstances and it's told from her first person point of view and she's sleeping with the man she thinks killed her sister and it just like I, I'm the first 10 pages and then I was like I want to know I want to know how it ends so I switched to the last 10 pages and in those last 10 pages I'll, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who's going to read it the Were panther did it oh my gosh I wish the Were panther did it it was just like Were panthers have they don't have sex when they're wear panthers. This book, no boundaries, no boundaries. It was, it was disturbing for my poor mind. I mean, I, I don't want to say disturbing because it was a well written book, and I don't want the author to be like, oh my god. No, it sounds like. But I, it was, it was, it was definitely erotica, and it was not. It was not for the readers of Fifty I mean, Shades of Grey. If anything, I think you might be selling a few copies right now. <laughs> Can you give us a sense, like, what taboos are broken here? I'm just struggling to even imagine. Okay, how about you, like, word association, some taboos, and I'll tell you if they broke up. All right, uh, bestiality. Yes. <laughs> that was, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm having trouble thinking. I guess uh, necrophilia is the only thing I can think of that's even worse. There's necrophilia, not so much, but... There are some definitely sinister elements to it, and it's. I left it on the coffee um, on our dining room table because uh, I was like, oh, I just can't. I just can't read anymore right now. And I came back, and it was shredded on the floor. My dog had eaten it, and I was like, I'm okay with that. I'm That's okay actually with- a scene in the book: is a dog eats something. Oh uh, yes, actually. What uh, I I just I'm trying to think. I wish I was like 14 again and think of like more dirty, like weirdo <laughs> things to, that that weirdo could be in things there. to say. I mean, um, there was some. Uh, I mean, obviously you have your traditional whips, ball gags. Sure, I assume that's in Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. though, or some yeah. are, are close to it anyway. You know, um, you get a little bit further with uh, there's some caning in this book. Um, 
there's a few instances with some some animals. Um, it's got uh, a scene. Um, it's just oh, it's just it's just yeah. I'm I'm at I'm a loss loss for words actually. There's some cutting and um, no, that's not that's just uh, whatever. Yeah. It's it has a sinister feel just, to it. <laughs> I had the, I immediately had this like um you know this I immediately a little bit repulsed but then I was like hey I guess if you know consenting adults I don't know I tried to I tried to be understanding about it after my initial reaction. It's very well written actually. It's just it's very engaging which is why when I started reading I was like oh my gosh and but I couldn't get it out of like I needed to know how it ended which is why I went back to it. But it was that's kind of cool, though. That's got yeah. all this weird, bizarre stuff. Yet, at its core, a story that like you want to get to the end of. Yes, it has a core story. It has that central conflict. You're like, who killed her sister? And then, like, the main character has this voice. And as you watch her get deeper and deeper into this world in which she, she's she's submissive in everything. It's not just bed play. It's like she becomes she falls under the thrall of this man and as you watch their dynamic somehow you're rooting for them but somehow you're not rooting for them and it's just so well written that when you read it as disturbing as the images are you can't help but somehow fall under that in that thrall with her which is why it was like when I did pick it up it was packaged very similar to similarly to Fifty Shades it had a cover I think it might be a wrist, wrist watch on a man or something like that so, <laughs> so I so something I picked vague up, like that yeah something vague so I picked it up thinking oh this is something we've repackaged we I think we released it originally like in 1993 or 2003 or something like that and so I thought it would just be something very similar to Fifty Shades a light bondage story but at its core a love story and it was not and so that was my thing I'm like Fifty Shades readers I don't know if they're going to be into this I don't know if they can cope it was also very the writing styles are different. Fifty Shades is very commercial, very readable. This had more of a like literary element to it. Do you have any idea or any theories about why Fifty Shades of Grey uh, broke through to that mainstream level? Uh, honestly, I don't. Um, I mean, it, it was an enjoyable tale, I guess. Um, I think it just hit the market at the right time. It got the right media exposure, the right word of mouth. Um, certainly the news calling it mommy porn didn't help. Everybody then had to see what it was about. I just think it was one of those instances where people who don't read sexy books got a hold of it and they're like, holy shit, this is sexy. And then it kind of exploded. Um, I mean... I have a copy. I've not read the second and the third, but it's it's well written. It's like engagingly written. I won't say it's well written, but it's very commercial. I imagine it's been great for your industry. Like certainly, set Rome, just you know, uh, the the tide has brought up all the boats. Yeah, the tide's brought up all the boats. I mean. I, Sometimes I do get a little miffed that people are like, oh, Fifty Shades, mommy porn, romance novels, mommy porn. I'm just like, guys, I am not a peddler of smut most of the time. I mean, for the most part. And it's kind of, it's almost insulting to be like lumped into the porn industry when at the core, most of these stories, as I said, aren't necessarily about the salaciousness. They're about the emotional bond between the two characters. So 
It sounds like that might be the difference between romance novels and erotica. As oh, I understand yeah. It, right? Yeah. But uh, would you consider then erotica to be porn? Because it sounds like they have a lot of similarities. And you might even say, uh, generally speaking, <laughs> porn for women. I mean, I could understand. I can. I'm. T- mm, yes and no. Because it's like, do I want to associate myself with someone who works in the porn industry? Probably not. No. That's not exactly complimentary. Um, But I do see how erotica is meant to titillate. It's meant to excite the senses. And it it is very um, arousing in a lot of ways. And it seems to me the difference is that that's all it aims to do. And I think, like... You know, lots mm-hmm. of movies that we all go see in the yeah. theaters do the things you're talking about, but they also tell stories or do whatever yeah. else. Hopefully they tell stories. Um, but I think if you're just doing that, then you're pornography. Yeah. yeah, and I think the best eroticas are the ones that do have stories attached to them. The erotic romances, the ones that have character de- character development and aren't just about a man and a woman and some other men and another woman and a subway train and you know all of that I think the the main thing about erotica is words I feel I find that uh, in a lot of cases visual images aren't as arousing to women words are so that's what erotica does you don't have like the bad production quality of a porno you have a written word and it's escapist fantasy it's like are some people reading it just for the arousal factor probably but some people might just read it because it's not exactly thought-provoking for the most part it just lets you escape into a world where people can be as promiscuous as they want without any ramifications how many of these books uh, are you reading and this is like more of an editor than a romance novel editor question just how many books do you read Oh, God. Um, Book books, full books, or submissions? Uh, I guess just how much of this are you consuming? Um, I probably read, on average, um, two printed books a week. I wouldn't say, like, um, they're my books or that these are books that other people write, but I'm kind of the exception. Um, Most people don't read for pleasure outside of um, the publishing industry anymore because we just don't have time. Um, And then I would say I read, oh God, an average of five submissions a week, if that's a good week. So um, I read a lot. So with that in mind, I'm very excited to ask this next question. I think, you know, we talked about one of the books that kind of shocked you and how dirty and how salacious it got. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the weirdest thing you've ever read? And by weird, I almost mean nerdy as far as, like, panthers. Like, is there anything you read that, like, really sticks out in your mind is, like, you just couldn't even believe you were reading it? I mean, I've had a few submissions that have really stuck out, but I can't talk about those because it would um, be detrimental to my career. Sure, of course. <laughs> to be like, oh. I can't believe this agent sent me this one. But um, back when I was reviewing romance novels, I got this um, e-original. I think it was a Harlequin. And What's a Harlequin? What does that mean? Um, it's um, a company. Okay. I, it's an imprint. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was, one, it was not a Harlequin. It was a small e-only publishing house. And it was an alien romance. Um, and it involved some, I love it. I, it didn't even occur yeah. to me. I, I'm thinking mythical. It didn't even occur to me to start Alien thinking science romance. fiction. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's another, there are quite a few alien romances I've read, and they always somehow disturb me. The one that sticks out most in my mind, the alien one from this uh, small press was pretty, it was pretty, I won't say absurd because it'll hurt someone's feelings, and I don't like to hurt people's feelings, but it was a little out there. I'm not but- like, no, no judgment <laughs> in any of this. Like, I just don't have time to read them all, so I yeah. want to hear about the craziest well, one right now. one, um, Kat Martin, a while back, wrote this one romance novel called, like, The Scent of Something, and it was a romance novel about an alien, and it was like this girl is on a beach, and she's sunbathing, and then a flash of light, and I'm pretty sure she was taken up by aliens. They did some tests. She had nightmares about it, because obviously you don't come away unscathed from alien abductions. It'd be, it'd um, be a really boring book if then right, she just went back to a regular Right. Life. I mean, they, like, tried to erase it from her memory, but it didn't work. And so then she's, like, having these nightmares. She's paranoid. She keeps thinking she sees people. And into her life comes this, like, playboy... Uh, son of her boss only guess what he's not really the playboy son of her boss he's the body of the playboy son of her boss and inside of that body of the playboy son of the boss is the spirit of an alien one of the ones who abducted her and he's like shit abducting him kind of fucks him up what did we do to him and so it's them falling in love but obviously he can't he's not corporal and he's living in a dead man's body so it is a little bit if you think about it there is a bit of necrophilia there because the man's dead. It's kind of like Meet Joe Black, but without death. And instead of death, it's an alien. That is amazing. I bet so many guys are listening to this right now, <laughs> relieved to hear that women have fantasies that are just as weird as just ours. Just as weird. And not weirder, not less weird. Like, I think we're just all strange, crazy people. I mean, if it's a good story, I don't think it matters if it's That sounds like female. a great story. That sounds like- I know. It was very engaging. I'm not usually one into alien necrophilia sci-fi romances, but I was like, yeah, I'm down with this. It's weird, but whatever. I want them to end up together, have that happily ever after on his planet. So we covered mystical, we covered sci-fi. Is mm-hmm. there another branch of, you know, subgenres that I'm not thinking of? I mean, historical. Historical's got to be a thing. Yeah. yeah. I read, this is the only romance novel, I forgot about this until just now. The only romance novel I ever read, cover to cover, is called, I think it's called Song of the Lark, which is the name of like a classic piece of literature that my roommate had to read in college and so he ordered it all, and he ordered it online and he got the romance historical romance novel Song of the Lark instead and I I decided I was going to read it and I read it over the year and um, there was it all, took you a year to read a romance novel yeah you know I was just like hitting it a few pages at a time but I I kept track of where I was and I got through it and. Uh, there was like uh, he was like I'm trying to remember what it was about. He ran like a lumber company in the in the 1900s, I think. Oh wow! So that was even. I mean, right now most historical romances I feel fall into the Regency category. Which, if you know history, you know Regency category. You're like, what? That was a nothing period. Why well, are I, so many authors? I writing? don't know history. What is the Regency period? It's a weird semi-Victorian period. It usually comes around the Napoleonic Wars. It's it's kind of the most useless period of history in my opinion. Yeah, I mean there's some things going on. There's still the there's like the hierarchy and the aristocrat the aristocrats and then there's still kind of 
there's some espionage and some political issues going on, but for the most part, you're just like, really? Regency period? That's not something we really talk about. I mean, Jane Austen was a bit like Regency period. But was she was actually alive then, right? So for her, it yeah. was just like present day. Yeah, and so now all of a sudden, like, Every other book is like a duke does this, a duke does that, a duke seduces a, a young virgin, or, you know, a young virgin decides to seduce a duke. Um, there are a lot of dukes in uh, historical romances, which are, which is pretty funny considering the actual number of dukes at that time period. Not so high. Most of them were old. So the idea that a young unmarried miss could snag herself a hot, rakish duke is a little bit absurd, but... I think they're really popular because um, they still seem modern in some ways, but they have these very strange rules and chastity, and they still bathed, so you don't have to worry about people smelling bad. Mm, yeah, you wouldn't want like a like a Greek romance novel or like Cavemen or something like that. I'm I've never read a caveman romance novel. I mean, whoa, I'm, that sounds like an opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I'm for sure there's some an enterprising author who's listening to this. If there's an enterprising author out there who writes a caveman romance novel, they will be very unique. So good luck to them. I, I am I like... am genuinely excited that we came up with something that you haven't encountered yet. <laughs> a caveman romance? Yeah, I've, I've actually read a Greek romance. So fortunately, I have to cross that one off. Ancient Greece is pretty sexy when you think about it. But yeah, not a caveman. How much, uh, how much, how important, how important is fan fiction uh, to this industry, be- especially in light of the fact that Fifty Shades of Grey uh, was fan fiction. I don't. And I think that's the craziest thing about the book, and I'm not sure everyone's totally clear on this. It was, just to be clear, Twilight fan fiction that she changed the characters' names, presumably some other stuff, because I don't think there's vampires. Uh, do you know how much was changed? Um. Yeah. Actually, the thing about fan fiction, because I am vaguely, fam- I mean, I'm moderately familiar with it, um... I had a friend who only read fan fiction back in college. Instead uh, of like, you know, <laughs> traditional novels? Yeah, that's all she read. She only uh, read fan fiction. That's so, it's, it's, reading is such a rewarding but difficult sometimes to get into habit, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, I'm frustrated to hear that there's someone who's reading a lot, but it's fan fiction. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe fan fiction is great. And there's a I lot mean, of great fan fiction out there. More, I was just glad that she was reading. So, I mean, I don't really care how you get your reading done. I obviously can't be a snob. I work with the most commercial of all the genres. But um, the thing about Fifty Shades is when you say Twilight fan fiction, you think, oh, there must be a vampire in there. But there's a lot of Twilight fan fiction that doesn't have vampires. And I know the Twilight shippers and fan fiction enthusiasts are going to be like, no, you're saying this wrong. But from what I can gather, there is there are a lot of like tags and worlds that are there's the ones that removes all vampirism from it at all. And then it's just the characters. And then there are... So that's like a subgenre of right. Twilight fan fiction? Is... It's like there's the non-canonical fan fiction that doesn't follow the canon. It just takes the inspiration from the characters and creates entirely new situations. And then there's the tried and true. It follows the canon of Twilight and it provides a very like fan version of what the Twilight world could have been, but within the boundaries of the rules that Stephanie Myers created. And so Fifty Shades, from what I understand, I could be saying this wrong, was one that did well, but it didn't ever have vampires in it. It was always imagined as being a 
more real to life story. And what she did was she based her idea of what Christian Grey would be on the idea of how, um, God, I even forgot his name. Edward? Edward. God, I'm going to get so in trouble for that. Wow, it's <laughs> amazing Edward that I just like. corrected a romance novel editor on the I name mean, of the Twilight character. I feel great about that. I like didn't get into Twilight until it was almost too late. I read the book so I could mock my sister um, when I was in college. So it kind of um, it passed me by. I was never Team Edward or Team Jacob. So it sounds like... Um, I, it didn't occur to me there wouldn't be vampires in the Twilight fan fiction. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's like watching like a, a Star Wars movie where like they just like go to dinner and like don't use the Force or lightsabers or anything, and it's just like Luke and Han just hanging out and having a good time. I guess in yeah. Made, so well, I mean, there's a book. There's a book series out right now, and it one was just the first book was made into a movie. It's by Cassandra Clare. Have you seen the Mortal Instruments? I saw um, a trailer. God, yeah, I'm so. There's so many of those YA, well, like, movies. I can't keep actually, them straight. Well, that one was actually based on Harry Potter fan fiction originally. Oh. The idea for those characters came from Cassandra Clare wrote Harry Potter fan fiction for a very long time. And there are people who, out, who are out there and they argue that in those characters in the Mortal Instruments, you can still see traces of Draco Malfoy. I think it might have been a Draco Hermione story or something like that. You can still see traces of those characters within her um, her stories that are being published. So is this fan fiction thing? Um, you just gave me another large example that was made into a huge Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this dominating the genre now? Is it, is it creeping its way in everything? Because it just I assume just based on uh, my cynicism about the world that like because there was this one successful thing, now it's going to be all they all they want to do. I think they go hand in hand. I don't have any problem with fan fiction. I think it's a very viable source for people who want to be writers. If you think about it, it's a way for you to hone your skills and develop your characters and work on dialogue within a safe community of beta readers and people who are enthusiastic about the subject. And you don't have to create your own world. You can work within a story that's already provided. So I see them as very fertile I guess, breeding grounds for future authors. I don't, I, I think if you want to be an author and you, you're trying to hone your craft and you don't exactly have your voice yet, a fan fiction story would be a good way for you to cut your teeth and figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, That's a great point, too, that you have a built-in audience. If you're writing about Harry, right. if, you're write, if you're making up your own characters, it's going to be very difficult to get anyone to read it. But if you're writing about Harry Potter, I'm assuming there are many, many, many communities of people who are just oh dying to read gosh. and comment on more Harry Potter There are entire Harry Potter fans fan fiction like websites and forums and etc my friend who only read fan fiction only read draco Ginny fan fiction um so i would come by and i'd be like so you want to go to dinner she'd be like um i have to finish this draco Ginny story but i can come after those characters like i don't even remember the two of them interacting in the books why those two characters of all the characters because i think they're familiar you grew up with the whole harry potter cast and draco didn't have he was never really he had these hidden depths to him these mysteries to him and if you think about that and then you think about where would Drake have ended up and you see him in the epilogue at the very end with his wife and his kid and you think 
damn, Draco, surely you could have had a different life if you had a chance to do, if you had a chance to be a little different. Like, maybe you could be redeemed. And then Ginny was always spitfire, and no one ever liked her with Harry anyway. So, you know, that's from what I can gather from years of talking to my <laughs> Years and years and years of her being like, well, did you... She would be like, I sent you a fan fiction. Did you read it? I'd be like, I'm sorry. I didn't have time. Had an English paper due. And she'd be like, are you sure? So eventually, when I was senior year of college, I was like, fine. I'm going to do a senior project on Harry Potter fan fiction and what it means. And so I sat down and read numerous of these numerous stories. And it was, if you're looking for something to be nerdy about, Try to read some Harry Potter fan fiction. Are there other subgenres within either Harry Potter or Twilight? Like, I love that there's one where they're just not even vampires, and that's like a subgenre. Are there any other, like, major branches of Harry Potter or Twilight or really anything? I just want to know more about this. Um, I find it funny when they do crossovers. Um, I think it was Vulture had a list today of the 20 best. Um, X-File fan fiction crossovers in honor of the X-Files 20th anniversary and it kind of sparked my interest because they sometimes pair some weird shit together. Like so what's like, a weird one? Um I heard once of a uh Harry Potter Oh god, what was it? Oh, I this would kind of make sense. Harry Potter True Blood crossover. Um then there was a one friend who wrote, I think, a Harry Potter Doctor Who crossover. Oh well, um, that's uh, that, that's not even weird. I just assume that assume that would be. Okay, uh, there must be a name for that too, like like Asia. like Hoori or something. I bet that's like yeah, Hoori. Oh God, there probably is a Hoori or like the Hermione as the Doctor's new companion. But wait, did, what was that one you said? Um, X Files and Frasier. X Files and Frasier. Uh-huh. Is that just like Frasier sees a weird creature and then like Mulder and Scully show up to investigate? I'm already writing it. In my I, I haven't read it. I, I was just on that list I looked at today. And then there was one that I was like, okay, I'm, I could see how this would work. It was X-Files and I Dream of Genie. Well, that makes sense because that's a paranormal case right. for them to investigate. Right. That to me, like, I'm like, of course, of course. But Frasier, I'm having a tough time imagining Frasier. the Frasier storyline. I'm something about a laundromat in Seinfeld. I don't know. I it could work. You never know. Ex Mulder and Scully could have found a hidden portal in a washing machine while Seinfeld cracked jokes. Do you think there's fan fiction for everything? Well, I mean, yeah. There's also fan fiction that's now published as real life books. I mean, you look at the Jane Austen trend, every single one of those books like Jane, or, oh gosh, all of those Jane Austen historical fiction spinoffs, they're all fan fiction. You like, mean like um, like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Not even Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, because that's more of a parody. But I'm talking like Mr. Darcy Takes a Wife, which my roommates actually read, and she was super into it. I was just like, I feel like my soul has been just like I just it was one of those stories where I I'm a purist when it comes to Jane Austen and the fact that it had Mr. Darcy and um, Lizzie Bennett getting it on I was like uh-uh Jane Austen is turning over in her grave right now that's a new book 
No, it's been out for about five years. Mr. Darcy Takes a Bride. But it's in like, it was written in this century, let's say. Yeah, it was written in this century. And it is the story of what happens to the Darcys after they get married and the trials and tribulations. And then there was that recent book that just came out in the past year or so, um, Death Comes to Pemberley. That's also, in my opinion, very... Very similar to a Jane Austen fan fiction. But they can officially release these because these are public domain characters, right? Right. They're they're outside the copyright laws, so you can do whatever you want with them. Is it getting to a point where most authors in this genre have, or at least, what, what percentage of authors that are coming up that are just getting their first book published now have an experience in this? Because it sounds uh, to me, uh, like to compare it to something I know a little more about, like uh, almost like you know, making an internet video and then, you know, before you become uh, work on yeah. TV or movies or something like that, it's just like a place to mm-hmm. hone your craft. And it seems like, um, you know, it certainly, it seems like the dom- the best way to do that. And, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can get to TV without ever putting anything on YouTube, but it's becoming rare and rarer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know because most people don't include in their uh, resumes, oh, wrote fan fiction for numerous years before I got my book to an agent. But I've seen, I would say, a handful of um, submissions now that come from people where agents have been like they had a very successful fan fiction story that was read by 8 million people that's an exaggeration but but no, that, that, that's another great yeah. point though is like you can get some it, 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 if you have something that's successful within that community that's uh credibility which is really difficult to get in the mm-hmm. liter- literary world i imagine mm-hmm. and i mean if you're trying to shop an agent and you can be like look this book i put it up as fan fiction and twelve thousand people downloaded it that's not exactly some numbers to shake your fist at that's kind of that's a help, helpful hand. If people are willing to download it and read it, then that usually translates to some sales numbers in agents' minds. So and, that's always good. And there's currently this thing I know that Amazon is doing. you know the name of that program? Yes. Um, what is it? That Amazon Share program. I don't remember its name, but you basically you can write stories about a certain number of uh, shows. Amazon and, has worked with yeah. the people that actually own the rights of these shows. I know Vampire Diaries is one. I think Gossip Girls maybe another. Probably. I know like a handful of like, there's some weird ones too. So these are like specific properties Mm -hmm. that they have, um, you know, gotten permission for you ahead of time that you can write about. And then you write about them and then you post them up on the Amazon site. And I mean, and then then you can sell them and Amazon takes a cut and presumably the studio gets a cut and you get a cut. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's almost uh perversion of what fan fiction actually is because I think fan fiction is for a chance for fans to interact with each other and read content for free and to monetize it I almost feel is doing it a disservice but that's where cynicism comes in if something's doing well why not make profit off of it I'm yeah you're not concerned that they're using these characters without their permission uh, and that the people that actually created the characters aren't getting paid you just think it like kind of isn't what it's about just philosophically yeah, I think what it's about is a bunch of people having fun together and writing stories about characters they they know and love. I don't it's not it's not there for money. It's not there for profit. It's there for enjoyment and to make it about something it's not. I think does it a, does it a disservice. Plus, I mean, it, they're not hurting anybody by putting post posting stories on the internet with disclaimers being like 
no one is making money off of this story. All of the writing is inspired by the genius that is my idol. Like, I think it's the highest form of flattery. Oh, of course. And I think on, on a practical level, um, it can only be good for that show and, like, can only increase the fandom right. and eventually the viewership and eventually, like... The- well, I mean, if you look at Firefly, like... Those fans were super engaged with that show, and when it went off the air, they did a big push to kind of, you know, make the brown coats come back. It didn't work, but that fan engagement, I think, is what brings about fan fiction, which is why I think it's, it's, it has its place. Well, the positive, one of the really positive things about the Amazon setup um, is that it has always been a little ambiguous legally, and even though I think it makes total sense, and I think like if you ask most of the creators of those shows, they would be flattered and they would be thrilled that people are running with these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the lawyers don't always agree, and they have existed in like sort of a nebulous legal area. And this Amazon thing, uh, it clears it up. It's probably the first time in history that like it is completely on the level legal to do this. Yeah. But at the same time, I know, I know it's been controversial in the community. Because you have to pay for it. I kind of am of the opinion that if you're going to publish something and go through Amazon, you should just self-publish a book. I don't, like, to self-publish fan fiction and get a cut of the profit, I just don't know if that's what those communities are about. Just change the characters enough and put it up on fan fiction, I mean, just put it up on Amazon as a um, novella or something and sell it for 99 cents like why do you need to, to stay within the Vampire Diaries canon like yeah well I guess if you do that you have to change the characters and they yeah. can't be whatever the name of the main character on Vampire just, Diaries is I know she's from Degrassi I just don't know her name Dobrev uh, or something like that I can't say her last name Elena but you know uh you couldn't, and you know, it's hard to attract that audience sometimes mm-hmm. unless you're using other people's characters. Do you think that, uh, you know, whether this specific Amazon program lasts or it doesn't, that this uh, kind of is a milestone for the community and like signals that like fan fiction is really establishing itself as its own medium and its own thing? Um, I have not actually seen much ripple effects from the Amazon program. I, it might not just have come to me yet. For me, um, I still see fan fiction as a certain way. I don't really see it as being a, I don't see it as being YouTube yet. I don't see it as being um, uh, Carmen puts a video up online and then gets a record deal. Um, For me, it's just kind of, it's another outlet. There's a lot of um, story sites um, meant for kids to express their writing in very similar ways. So I think, the Amazon is still untested. Its ripple effects can't be seen yet. What about editing romance novels is unique from editing any other type of book, if anything? Well, I mean, the authors are in themselves unique. I find the romance community to be probably the nicest community of people I've ever met. Um, People are just so willing to talk and they're just, they're happy to, you know, just write their stories and they don't have all that writer's angst you hear about from other people. Um, I've been to a few conventions and every time I go, it's just, everyone's just so happy. So that's one thing. you don't. Are, really... are there any male writers who are writing for women? Uh, yes. I know of a few. I can't remember their names. But they are the minority? Um, yeah, they're definitely the minority. At those Most, conventions. They're uh, mostly women. Are there mostly women at the convention? Mm-hmm. I take it too. 
uh, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty. It's, it's if it's, you're a single yeah. guy looking to meet some women, that sounds like the place you gotta be. Seriously, just join your local chapter of the RWA. It's What's like the RWA? Romance Writers of America. What goes on at those conventions? Just like signings, Q and A's, same thing as any other convention, I imagine. Well, every year there's the Nationals, which is Romance Writers of America throws this big convention. They change locations every year. This year it was in Atlanta, and um, big selling authors come down. They do panels, they do lectures, they do book signings, they do meet and greets. Um, each publishing house kind of has their own party. Um, it's kind of just a it's a convention. It's it's our version of Comic Con. There are people in outfits it's just it is a hoot and then there's uh rt book reviews romantic times does their own national convention each year and they have like a fairy ball and the key cards have um naked man chests on them wait what's a hotel room what's a fairy ball you dress up like fairies, and you go to a ball, and you dance with your fellow romance enthusiasts. There aren't a lot of men there, so I guess if you are a single man who likes to write and is looking to mingle, um, you should go to the RWA webpage and check out your local chapter and see if they, you can go to some of their events and talk to some ladies. But um, they're fun. I mean, they're they're really fun, and the romance people are really fun. Um, I think genre people in in general are are they're not they don't have their noses in the air. Um, they're willing to give back to the community. I think it's the same with sci-fi, um, and to a certain extent, I think it's the same with mysteries and thrillers. How important for a romance novel is that cover? I love the covers. I know it's controversial. But I think those covers are captivating. Um, We're talking about like, you know, a Fabio kind of painted. um, We've moved beyond the Fabio and the painting. Now we're more on big skirts and corsets and bare shoulder blades with like cascading curls down a back for a historical and the side profile of a chiseled chiseled hunky man's face with his shirt slightly gaping but not too much so no more like like mega babes on the cover just like (sighs) sweeping a woman off her feet if only i mean for the most part they've switched to a more contemporary feel the fabio days were definitely more more the 80s 90s uh romance heroes very rarely have long hair anymore i don't think it's considered sexy for a man to have long hair and like trend wise so a lot of the men are more clean cut clean shaven and one thing that you will see if you look at any section of a romance any romance novel section is that Profiles and half faces are key. Very rarely will you see a full face peeking out on the cover. There's just something about full faces that kind of turn people off. They want to be able to imagine it. So a lot of them are from the back. And I mean, there is, or like, there are a lot that do have full faces, but there'll be angles, so you they won't just be staring straight at you. And I like, I like the covers. I like the historical covers because those they have those sweeping dresses and the. Um, satin and the lace and the, I mean, just like they're, I think they're really pretty. And um, I 
I kind of the the um, contemporaries are usually a little sweeter. Um, there'll be kind of a man and a woman sitting on a dock, or um, a man by himself in front of a campfire, or a house by a lake. Uh, and then you get your sports romances. Gotta love those. And then you have like a half naked man wearing football pants and hanging out like that and those are the best do you feel like anything is lost as more and more of these books are read on kindle and you don't have those covers i i do i'm i'm all for the technology i read a lot of books on my kindles but if i love something I buy it in paperback as well because if I love it, I want to be able to have it. I want to be able to hold it. I want to be able to read it wherever I am regardless of if I'm near a power outlet and I want to be able to see the cover. The covers do get affected by what you can see on Amazon because Amazon and Barnes Noble, those are small little boxes and so you have to pack a punch in just that little space. So I know that there that is a consideration now when we're reading them. And I do feel like there's something lost about word of mouth. Like you can't just be like, oh, that's a captivating cover. I'm going to read it. You have to actually delve into what the book is about. Because, I mean, no matter what they say, don't judge a book by its cover. That's bullshit. You have to judge a book by its cover. Else how are you going to know whether or not it's a mystery, a thriller, a romance? People who say don't judge books by their covers are just ugly people who are afraid of being judged themselves. So, you know, whatever. I imagine, you know, between Twilight and all these other things we're talking about, Fifty Shades of Grey, it seems, I imagine they're currently thriving, whereas the publishing, publishing industry uh, necessarily isn't. I mean, romance novels have always done well, traditionally. Um, they're, they're, they have a strong community of people who read romance novels and read nothing but romance novels. Um, they appeal to their audience, and they know that they appeal to their audience. I don't know if I would say publishing in general is struggling. I know that we're adapting and we're working on coping with new technologies and making use of new technologies. But, I mean, people are still buying books. And as long as they're buying books, we're still making money. I do think that the self-publishing craze, or if not craze because that demeans it in some way, but I would say the self-publishing um, rise of it, that's been um, a little bit different because it does make us reassess how we package, how we promote, how we put our books out there. And it's often, it's also like obviously self-publishing, public, traditional publishers aren't making money for things that are self-published. But um, that has changed the game. And it's changed the game in romance, I think, more than any other genre. Do you have anything that is currently out or coming out soon uh, that you want to tell people about? Um, I don't think I have anything coming out till May. So unless you're listeners have very long memories and they want to pick up The House on Blackberry Hill by Donald Alward. Um, I don't have anything in the, uh, anything with a quicker pub date. Some people listen to these a little later, you know, they, they'll well, catch up in a few months, so it might should, be May right now. Yeah, those people should definitely turn off their electronic device as soon as possible. Turn off your iPhone 9s. Yeah. Or, you know, you can take your iPhone with you. You should just take it with you and go to the romance section and be like, oh, that book. Ask our robot overlord where the book is. Yes, obviously, because that's where we will be by May. There will be robot overlords. Um, But, yeah, 
I have a I have a sweet contemporary romance coming out. Um, it's about a it's about a Maine coastal community, and there's a hunky contractor and a kind of gun shy heroine, and it's going to be fantastic. Obviously, when you read these books, because you've read so many of them, you read so many submissions, and and you imagine these characters like the hunky contractor. Do you have like one hunky dude who you imagine for every hunky role, or is it different depending on the book? I think it depends on the person. I don't actually have visual images of the characters when I read the book. I don't imagine him to be like a, a famous actor. I don't read this book and think, oh, he looks like Tom Hardy to me. I think I think more in terms of his actions and his dialogue. So I don't really compute. I don't really take images and turn, uh, turn words into images in my head. So that's not how it works out but I bet there are people who have a standard stand-in hero that they imagine when every book I'm more of a get down into like their their top their dialogue and their talking so when I read a book it's important for me to be able to feel like I can hear their dialogue out loud because I think that's where the emotional connection really comes in it's when they're talking and they're bantering and they're learning about each other so for me that's what I see I hear it not see it that makes a lot of sense I feel like I learned a lot today. I feel like I, I have a new so. respect for the genre. I know a lot about fan fiction now. Uh, I know. Wealth of knowledge over here. Yeah. Tons, <laughs> tons of cool stuff. Uh, Lizzie, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about romance novels. I learned a lot on that episode. I hope you guys did too. That was a fun one. Two weeks from today, I'm assuming you are listening to this on the day it comes out like a good listener. You're all good listeners. There's no such thing as good and bad listeners. You're all good listeners. Anyway, in two weeks, coming out, next episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, I will be talking to the author of Slimed, an oral history of Nickelodeon's golden age. Here's a sneak peek of that one. All right, back to Nickelodeon. I think I understand a little bit about the origins, and that they seem just not that remarkable. They sound very similar to the origins of MTV mm-hmm. and other early cable networks. Sure. When did it take that turn? What what, what, start, what kicked off this golden age? Um, a group of about five or six people uh, named Jerry Laybourne, Fred Seibert, Alan Goodman, uh, Jeffrey Darby, um, and a little bit later on, you know, people like Scott Webb. Uh, but mainly it was Jerry, Fred, Alan, and Jeffrey. Um, they actually all met um, at uh, Jerry Laybourne. Jerry's a woman, by the way, Geraldine. Um, she she actually, uh, Helga from uh, Hey Arnold's middle name is Geraldine because of Jerry Laybourne. I, uh, no, so they all met at Jerry's house and basically said, okay, what are we going to do with this channel that no kids are actually watching mm-hmm. and that Wasek is just using as a loss leader? P.S., at this time, Wasek was basically moving on because, lo and behold, this was around when MTV was coming out. And they're like, okay, that's making the money. This, like, shitty thing that we kind of had just to, like, sell the rest of the programming is not doing anything. Let's just cut the budget completely, which they did and you know whatever you guys can do with it do with it and here's lassie and like one or two other things bye see you later we're gonna go work on mtv now um you know let's not forget that the that whole entire um like company is now called well under viacom mtv networks Mm -hmm. Um, so uh nickelodeon was basically left on its own to die and jerry fred allen and a few of these other people met at her house and said okay what are we going to do to make this network actually work let's actually make it fun and cool and put kids first and all that stuff they almost changed the name of the channel because no kid knows what the hell nickelodeon is they almost called it ktv or kids tv 
So that will be up in two weeks, and you, good listeners, will be the first to hear about it. You will be the first to hear it, I suppose. Ugh, God, I hate how much I was amused by that. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, at, I, I, I don't even want to tell you now. I promise it'll be nothing like that. When you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Rubin Show, Tumblr, Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin.com, on my Facebook fan page, or over at Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show.com, where you can get every episode up to and including this one. I will see you guys in two weeks. It's going to be awesome. It'll be Thanksgiving week. We're going to party. Are we going to party? you party on Thanksgiving? I swear to God, no, no more of this. I, I'm much more measured on Twitter. I swear to God. Follow me there. Okay, let's turn the mics off. Bye.